Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Along the Way podcast. My name is Lydia Kyle and I am your host. Today is actually a special bonus episode in anticipation of Christmas where we're going to be talking about some heavy but important topics. Today I'm bringing on my first ever guest to the podcast. It is one of my dearest friends. Her name is Ola Baderka Kirk. We have been friends for over a decade and not just friends, best friends. And Ola lost her dad several years ago. And so today we're going to be talking about navigating grief through the holidays and grief in general, because we both realize that, you know, this is a topic that we may not all empathize with, but I think everybody can sympathize with. And also there's a community of people who are struggling with grief of all different kinds through the holidays. And it's a very important topic for those people, but also for the people around them to understand what that grief feels like through the holidays. As always, hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review if you haven't already. I'm so excited to see what you guys are saying about the podcast every week. You can find my information and my handles for social media in the description of this episode. All right, everybody, exciting day, important day. I want to introduce you to one of my best friends, my first ever guest on the Along the Way podcast. I have one of my best friends, Ola, here with me. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you decided to come on, like genuinely. We're going to be talking about some, I already did the intro, so everybody's already heard the intro. Like we're going to be talking about some heavy stuff, but I wanted to just like talk about some uh just like lighthearted stuff before we dive into that so rapid fire questions okay (laughs) what's your coffee order oh I'm really boring I do just a grande latte with two percent milk I don't feel like that's super boring Kenneth does Kenneth just does like a mocha okay and like the baristas look at me like I'm crazy because they're like that's it it's like yeah (laughs) yes yeah that's it there was like, you don't want any syrups? I'm like, no, I literally just want caffeine and milk. Like, caffeine and milk. Give me <laughs> caffeine and milk. I love it. Okay. Fiction or nonfiction? If you had to choose, fiction or nonfiction? Ooh, probably fiction right now. I, I okay. like a little escapism. I, I am definitely uh, in the fiction phase. I'm. We are going to do for our, I think we're going to do it for March in book club. We're going to do nonfiction. So I'm trying to find some like good nonfictions, but I'm definitely in fictions right now. Okay. Last one. Rapid fire question. Uh, it must be PG rated, but what is your favorite memory from our friendship? Because we've been friends for over a decade, oh my which God. is like wild yeah. to wrap your head around. Okay, um, definitely. This one always comes to mind first, and it does involve my dad. Okay, when, all right. When, I knew it was going to yeah. be this one. Uh huh. When we moved in together in 2013, and my parents helped me um, with my stuff, and you happened to be there with your cousins. And you yep. pull up with that big, I don't know, like a Tahoe. It was like a, it was my mom's expedition and we had a U-Haul mm-hmm. hooked on the back of it and we had driven it all the way from Oregon. So yes. all the way from Oregon to Texas, just me and my little cousin who, I mean, at the time he wasn't little, but like he was 17 yes. and I was 19 Yes, and we drove it all the way from Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember we had like a really steep, awkward driveway at this apartment. Yep. And Lydia, who at this point, you were what, like 20, 21, just, you know, her arm out the window, one arm on the steering wheel, maneuvering this big piece of machinery, so casually backs it up into this really awkward driveway. And my dad is just standing there and his his jaw is like agape, 
that like little Lydia, this sweet little blonde, 20, 21 year old girl just hops out and is like, okay, I'm done. And then to make it even better, when we came inside, what you're gonna have to correct me on the model of this, but what was it? Was it a Glock or just well? A- so like for to like preface the story, so me and my cousin had been traveling by ourselves. So I mean, we're just a couple of teenagers, and we're broke. So we were literally this sounds crazy. We were literally camping on the side of the road. Like we were sleeping in the back of the car, my mom's car. We had bed rolls, and so my dad was like, "Okay, well, you know, make sure that you have your pistol." And so I had my pistol the whole mm-hmm. time, and I like walked in. I wasn't gonna leave it in the car, and we were walking into this house. So I like walked in, and I like set it on the counter. Um, I don't know what it was. I think it was actually just like a twenty-two pistol, which in the grand scheme of things. Probably Probably wouldn't have helped us in the case of a situation, but I mean, it was there. But yes, yes. Yeah, but still, for my uh, my two immigrant parents who grew up in communist Poland and you know came to Texas for their daughter who's going to college, and her little her sweet little friend who just pulled up this big vehicle into the driveway like it ain't no thing, and then she walks up and puts a pistol on the counter. First thing she does when she walks into our apartment. That is when um, Lydia Forever became my father's favorite friend. And I love it because, like, I remember it. You didn't tell me this until later, but, like, your dad, like, your mom kind of panicked a little bit. And then your dad, <laughs> like, said something to your mom in Polish. And, like, you later told us what he said. And essentially what he said was, like, she'll be fine living here as long as Lydia is here. Yep, <laughs> like, pretty much. I love that. I love it. I love it. Okay, so you mentioned your parents being immigrants. So like, obviously we're talking, we're going to, we're going to get to grief. We're going to get to all of these heavy topics, but like, I think it's important for people to understand your family a little Mm -hmm. bit. So in, in like spark notes version, can you tell us about your parents before they moved to America? And then like after they, like, what did your life look like for them when they were young, but also for you as a child? Yeah. Um, so both my parents are scientists, so they both earned their PhDs. Um, my dad got his PhD in physics. My mom got it in biology. Um, and I was born in Poland. Uh, so my mom finished her PhD in biology when I was about four years old. So they were still completing their, their PhDs while I was a very small child. Um, they worked in academia in Poland for a while. And I recently learned this, which is crazy for me. They two, the two of them together were making the equivalent of $400 a month. That was their salary in Poland. So, um, so like when, so when, if their salary was $400 in Poland before they came, like, what did that turn into when they came to the United States? I'm just like curious. Cause I mean, it was in what, that was in the eighties, nineties. No, that was like, that was like the mid nineties. Okay. And so then when they came here, what do you think that transitioned to? I don't know. Approximately. I don't know that. I know my dad came over as a postdoc, and he alone was making more than that just in the U.S. Right. Yeah, because in Poland, together, the both of them were making... $400. Yeah. And so was that part of the reason why they decided to come to America? Was, like, just the opportunity alone, or were there other factors involved? Yeah, um, it was definitely the opportunity for just a better life. Um, but also my dad was very passionate about his work. So SparkNotes edition of what he does, functional MRI. Um, I feel like people are familiar with an MRI machine. It's a magnetic tube. They slide you in for diagnostic imaging. 
Um, a functional MRI takes it one step further. Uh, they put you in there and they basically look at your brain, uh, but they can see how your brain functions. So like when you move a finger, they can see what parts of the brain light up uh, corresponding with that movement. Uh, so it's used a lot for mental health diagnostics, um, that sort of thing. So um, my dad was kind of a pioneer in his field. There wasn't a lot of opportunity in Poland to pursue what he wanted to pursue. Um, so he got an opportunity in America, which he took because he was so excited about this research and it gave him an opportunity um, to make a better life for his very young family. Uh, so he came over in, it would have been October of 1997, he was only supposed to stay for six months, um, but it got extended. So my mom and I were in Poland alone for six months. I was four years old at the time. Um, when his six month stay got extended, he decided to bring us over. So we came to the States in April of 1998. Um, I was just a month shy of my fifth birthday and I very distinctly remember when we got out of the airport, we got onto like what must have been like a Greyhound bus. And I very distinctly remember looking at my mom excitedly and being like, oh my gosh, mom, look at this big bus. Look at all these cars. There's planes flying in the sky. This is America. Like it was so shocking to me because mm -hmm. I hadn't seen that level of like technological advancement because mm -hmm. frankly, like Poland is definitely a developed country now, but right. when I was born it was probably what you would classify as like a second world country like not quite third world but definitely not a first world country right. so coming was a humongous culture shock but yeah we came over um and then my dad we basically moved around wherever my dad's job mm -hmm. took us um again very niche kind of research interest so we followed him wherever that took him we lived in the dc metro area for about nine years he worked at nih and then he got a really good opportunity to start his own research institute um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we moved there when I was 16. Um, and he worked there until the day he passed. And yeah. So I actually, I, you, I don't know if I told you this story like in full, but I think it's so fascinating to me. I had this like I don't know. I, I don't, your mom was there. I don't know if your mom remembers this, but to me, it was like a really deep connection with your dad. So we were at your rehearsal dinner for your wedding. And I like sat down and I was just like chatting with your parents. I like, I had gone from like table to table and I was just like chatting with everyone. And I sat down at your parents and somehow me and your dad started talking about his work, but we weren't talking about his work. We were talking about like his studies and I, for some reason, I just felt inclined to ask him. I was like, Jersey, did you always want to study the brain? Like, was the brain always the thing that fascinated you? And he goes, no, no, I wanted to be an astro or an astronomer. He's, he's like, I wanted to study space and the stars. And he's like, the stars are actually my passion. I was like, why didn't you study? Why didn't you become an astronomer? And he goes, well, because like that wasn't, there was more money in being like a doctor. Like I was either going to be a professor in, in the stars or I was going to be a medical professor. So I just chose that instead. And I just thought that was so interesting. And then we had this whole conversation 
about the stars. And it was just one of those, it was, I mean, it was essentially other than your wedding, obviously we talked at your wedding, but it was essentially the last conversation that I had with your dad. And it was really profound because it was like a, a side of him that I think probably most people wouldn't know because they would know him for his work because like you're being rather humble about it, but he's kind of the top of his field. Like there really weren't a lot of people doing what he was doing then and up until he passed, but like he loved the stars. That was his passion was the stars. So let's, let's go into, so tell me a little bit about um, your dad's, um, diagnosis and like what that looked like. And, and then we'll kind of launch into, you know, processing all of that. Yeah. Um, so my dad's whole illness journey was really, it was sudden and it was really rough. Um, in the summer of 2019, he was what seemed like very randomly hospitalized for what ended up um, being bacterial meningitis caused by listeria. And if anyone knows anything about bacteria, bacterial meningitis happens, but in healthy people, it doesn't happen from listeria. Um, Listeria is a very nasty bacteria that tends to target people who are either immunocompromised or pregnant women specifically. So it was a very, very odd thing to happen, just kind of out of the blue. Um, And that was the first time that, like, he was in the hospital and it was very stressful. But he got better. He got out of the hospital. But I do remember thinking, like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, bacterial meningitis caused by listeria is supposed to be uncommon and affect Mm -hmm. people who don't have the best immune system. And I was like, my dad's supposedly perfectly healthy. Like, what's the deal? Well, eventually, two months later, we did find out um, through some, you know, traumatic things that my dad uh, had a mass in his intestines, which turned out to be um, stage four colon cancer. So that was a very rough, diagnosis to hear um yeah because you went from I mean this was in the span of like months mm -hmm, right like you went from your dad being what you presumed and for him as well like Mm -hmm. what he presumed to be a very healthy functioning adult man to several months later you have a stage four cancer diagnosis like no time to process that even yeah you know, and it, but like looking back, I feel like this happens to anyone who has a family member who gets diagnosed with a big illness. Looking back, you're like, oh, that makes sense. He had lost a lot of weight in the months before, but we had mm-hmm. assumed that he had changed his diet. So we were like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, eating better is working. He had had some like stomach mm-hmm. issues that just wouldn't go away. So like these small things that people write off, like they just wouldn't go away and it started, it suddenly started to click. Um, and really makes sense. Um, but yeah, so he was diagnosed in August of 2019, um, and proceeded to go through treatment. Um, it actually, the first few months of treatment went really well. Um, and in March of 2020, ironically enough, uh, a week before the COVID pandemic shut everything down, um, my dad was able to have surgery to reverse 
his colostomy bag, which was a humongous, like, celebration in my family. Um, so he was able to basically regain his quality of life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people reflect on COVID as, like, this time of great sadness and fear. And it it was definitely that. But for my family, it was, like, a weird time of relief. Because I distinctly remember, like, the first... Nine to 11 months of the pandemic were the time where we like took a breath, where the treatment was working, he was Mm -hmm. feeling better, the results were looking promising, and we were thinking, oh my gosh, maybe we have a handle on this. Like, you know, cancer is such a crazy disease that you just never know. Like, everybody's case is different. Um, So yeah, it was a really good time. And then um, in... Uh, November of 2020, I remember this very distinctly because it was Thanksgiving. So it's like six months. So you go from like March, he gets his quality of life back, and then we go to November. So that's approximately, I'm not good at math, but that's approximately, (laughs) that's approximately six months. I do have one question before we launch into November. Was your family, like, you're an only child, I'm an only child, and obviously you were an adult when this was happening, but like, were your parents very open with you? with what was going on, like from, like, it was all laid out on the table? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, my mom and I have a very good relationship. Like we're basically best friends. So like we talk all the time anyway, and we had up until that point. So Mm -hmm. she was pretty transparent about everything. Um, especially since like at that point there was nothing like super scary, like stage four is scary, but there was a plan. Like there was a treatment plan. There were benchmarks we were going to hit so it wasn't like nope sorry there's nothing we can do right gotcha okay so november november 2020 thanksgiving yeah so he had gone in to get like a um anyone who's dealt with cancer knows this you go in regularly to get scans as you're getting treated and even if you know you're in the clear just to check on the progression of things he had gone in to get a scan um to see how things were progressing. And I distinctly remember they got, we got the results right before Thanksgiving dinner for some strange reason. And it said no evidence of disease. It said everything was looking great. And I remember being so, so happy. Um, and just thinking like, it's a miracle. Like this is amazing. Um, well that, um, that joy was very short lived. Um, Come Christmas time, so barely a month later, my dad's having some stomach issues, um, and his doctor sends him in to have, like, a colonoscopy to check things out, um, and they find that there's a mass in his intestines again, um, and at the time, they thought maybe it was scar tissue from the surgery, it's possible they didn't really know what was going to happen, so, um, they scheduled like an exploratory surgery, which was to take place on Christmas Eve, because that was just the timing of all this craziness. Um, And I remember I had gone home to Tulsa, and my mom sent me back to DFW, because my dad was going to be in the hospital the whole Christmas time. And she was like, he's only allowed one visitor, I'm going to be there with him, like, I don't want you sitting home alone. Um, So she sent me back to DFW and I spent Christmas of 2020 with my um, then fiance, now husband's family. Um, 
And, you know, Christmas is hard for me because of this experience. Um, it was very nice to be with his family, and they were very welcoming, but it was certainly not the Christmas I had planned. Right. Um, and it was a very sudden pivot. Um, well, and I think people, like, we don't realize because Christmas is the way that it is, like, even right now, there are people who are going to be going into surgery on Christmas Eve. There are people who, you know, their loved one just got that diagnosis. Like, the world does not stop for a holiday. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, you know, like, we mark our chronological life a lot of times by, like, holidays or milestones or all of this stuff. But, like, life doesn't stop it didn't matter it didn't matter to the world that it was Christmas Eve it didn't matter that it was Thanksgiving like the world just keeps going and I think I think that's where like the the understanding I think has to come in as like not everybody is having the same Christmas Mm -hmm. as you are not everybody is having the same experience as you are whether it's you know they have a loved one who is lost to addiction or they have a family member who just passed away or like you know I have I have a friend um I consider her to be a friend I only know her through social media but like their baby was just born at 25 weeks like right before Christmas so it's like their Christmas is entirely different from my Christmas and I think sometimes during the holidays we get like that tunnel vision where mm-hmm. we forget that like these things do happen yeah, and, sure. and they do happen. So what happened after Christmas? Because you got married the next March, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll be honest, your, your dad, like I, you could tell that maybe like it was taking a toll on him, maybe a little bit physically, but like he was very present for your wedding. Like he was very able-bodied. He was very, obviously he's very excited to be there. You're his only child, his only daughter. Like it was a, it was a great experience. It definitely, your wedding was not like, in my opinion, as an innocent bystander, your wedding was not overshadowed by his illness or like the current state of things. It was a very joyful thing. So like, how did it progress from like Christmas and your wedding and then on from there? Yeah, um, so the diagnosis on Christmas, of course, was that the cancer had returned and it, you know, it had grown back, um, but there was still a plan at that point, right? Like, there was still, like, we're going to treat it, here's the benchmarks we're going to meet. It felt like a lot of steps back, and my mom and I were certainly very angry for a while, Um, like, you know, a month earlier, we had gotten an email that said no evidence of disease. We looked at these scans. Everything's great. Um, what does that anger feel like? Like, where do you direct that anger? Or is it just like it becomes a part of like your existence? Like, were you mad at something in particular? Or was it just like this emotion that just wouldn't go away? I don't know. Maybe that's a complex question, but like, how do you, how do you, I'm just thinking about this. Cause like when my, so like when my mom had cancer, she didn't tell me, like, I know that sounds crazy, but like I was a young kid and it was breast cancer and, and it wasn't super far along. And like, my mom didn't feel the need to tell me until she was going to be gone because she had to go to radiation treatment. So like that hit me like a ton of bricks and that felt like panic. Like, I don't ever think I felt 
anger to the situation. I just felt panicked because like I hadn't been told, but like the panic wasn't directed at anything in particular. So like, I'm curious, like when you're feeling this anger of emotion, like, are you angry at cancer? Are you angry at God? Are you angry at the people who are sending you these results, but are not responsible for anything? Like, where is the anger directed? Uh, yeah, it felt like it was definitely like anger at the medical professionals because like, I don't know anything about cancer other than it's scary. And it's like, these are the people we're trusting to take care of my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was hard for me to think, how could something get this bad in a month? You know, right? Like, how could we go from no evidence to disease of disease to, okay, this is serious again, like, we have to do many surgeries. And this is like, this is becoming really scary all of a sudden. Um, so it was it was anger, just healthcare and general distrust, which, you know, is ironic and kind of funny since I now work in healthcare myself. Um, I know we're all people and I know we're all capable of making mistakes, but you know, when you when you trust people with like right someone else's life and they get something very wrong, it's like how in the hell did you miss this like how could so they have... did in fact miss it the, I, I don't no, know you still don't know I to this still day don't know is it possible that it could have progressed that quickly like is it well I mean neither one of us are medical professionals right. so I mean <laughs> we can't we and we can't even phone a friend like if yeah. we have a moral failure we don't have a doctor in our friend group we really should have thought this through but <laughs> like so you don't know no idea you, you have no, no idea mm-hmm. so what were your dad's emo like if you could Obviously, you can't speak for your dad, but, like, you and your mom are feeling anger. You're obviously feeling, like, I would say some panic of, like, this feels very out of control. Yeah. How did it seem that, like, your dad was handling this? Because, like, at the end of the day, it was his life. Right. Like, how do how did it seem that, like, he was processing this? You know, it's funny that you ask that. Um, my mom and I have talked a lot about this, reflecting back. My dad was a scientist to a fault. Like, everything was binary. It was either O or 1. It was either black or white. Like, there was no gray area. So, for him, he just kind of took it as a matter of fact. Like, okay, it's back. Cool. Great. Not cool. Whatever, you know. But, like, okay, it's back. This is the information I have received. We have a plan in place, and this is what we're going to do. Like, that's... It It just, just was. Yeah, it just was. Exactly. So did that like frustrate you and your mom that like, cause I mean, in the grand scheme of things, what could he have done? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he yeah. couldn't have done, but like, did it feel frustrating to you and your mom that like, he was just, I don't want to say okay with it, but like he, it's almost like he had come to terms with it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, no, not really. We were kind of just more amazed than anything else. Cause like, that's a heavy thing to deal with, right. you know, like. But he was very much like, yeah, this is, it's just, this is what it is. Whereas my mom and I are very emotional beings, of course. And, you know, we overthink, we panic, we, mm-hmm. we get sad and, you know, it was, and it's still to this day is very astounding to me just how calmly and matter of factly he approached everything. Yeah. So it was almost like, I, I almost respect that because yeah. 
honestly, just like you, like, like you mentioned, like, what are you going to do? Like, it is what it is. Yeah. Like, if you worry about it, you're not going to make it better. You might make it worse. That was kind of like my mom's re- and on, obviously our stories are not similar. So like, please don't think that I'm trying to like cross it. Yeah. I, I said, I should have mentioned this at the beginning that like you guys, like Ola and I have been friends for so long that like some of this conversation may feel like too personal for you, but like we communicate on a different plane of existence because we know each other. So it's like, you know, there's, if, if I didn't know Ola, I probably wouldn't be making these conjectures, but because I do, we can have this conversation. But like, I remember my mom, it was so matter of fact as well. And granted, like my memory of this is very warped because I think I was still in middle school. I was Mm -hmm. maybe like 12, 13 years old. And like I said, she had gone through a whole like diagnosis process and never had said anything to me. I literally had no clue. Like I remember the day that she told me we were driving in the car and she just like looked over like matter of factly and was like, I'm going to have to go to, you know, such and such because I have breast cancer and like I'm going to have to go through radiation and I'm just like a sobbing mess. And my mom is just like, this is what it is. But like even when they were going through the treatment plans, my and again, my story might be a little bit off because this was my perception as a child but like I remember them suggesting like um doing removing the Mm -hmm. tissue and I think at one point my mom was like just do a full mastectomy like just just take up just take them both like I want to be done with it and they're like I like I don't think that's necessary like that's a bit much and she's like nope I just want to be done with it and she didn't end up doing that but it was kind of that like matter of fact like cut and dry like black and white like you know get get these things off of me that have this cancer like I don't need them nor do I want them as to where everybody else was like wait a second like let's think that through but like for her it was just was like you know what do we do next how do we fix it how do we get rid of it as so it's interesting that like we as the outside family members have such a different existence to those who are like actually physically experiencing it in their body right and and your dad's diagnosis was obviously way more serious and fatal compared to what my mom went through but like it it was a similar you know very cut and dry very black and white very binary in the way that they handled it so your dad handled it in that way you and your mom handled it differently how how did that year progress and then and then we'll go we'll go from there yeah um yeah so like I mentioned you know after the diagnosis on Christmas there was a treatment plan uh it was being followed um I got married in March of 2021 and up until that point you know the treatment was supposedly progressing it was supposedly helping um I would later find out from my mom, who hadn't wanted to stress out a bride-to-be, that there were some inclinations that maybe it wasn't because my dad wasn't feeling great. Like, he wasn't feeling horrible, but there were just some things off. Um, And then it all came to a head at the end of April of 2021. Um, You know, you have those flashbulb memories, and I remember this so vividly. It's, like, stupid. Um... My new husband and I went to Ikea, which every married couple knows you argue at Ikea. We hadn't argued that day, though, so it was a good day. We were driving back from Ikea, and my mom texted me that she was at the emergency room with my dad, and I was like, oh, no. And the thing that had taken them to the emergency room was that he 
And this is, this is ridiculous and sounds horrible, too. The man had had hiccups nonstop for, like, three days. Mm-hmm. Nonstop. Up until that point, I didn't know that that was really, like, a thing that could happen, but it's very common with bowel obstructions. Um, so that's what it was. It was just, there was another tumor, and it had grown back. Um, and what followed were lots of surgeries, um, lots of scary nights, lots of crying phone calls, lots of texts. Um, there was a there was a time where I think, and I don't remember when this was, sometime in early May where my dad had to have an emergency surgery at like three in the morning. And my mom thought that that was going to be it. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. She basically thought like she was seeing her husband for the last time. Um, he pulled through because he's a resilient old bastard. <laughs> um, but yeah. So he was in the hospital for um, probably about a month, maybe five weeks. He did eventually end up getting released um, to go home. But, like, looking back, I realized that that was, like, oof. When I started the grieving process, because it was, like, this isn't my dad anymore. Right. And he's, you know, he's not coming back. Um, he just became a very, like, gray version, like, literally gray. Like, his skin became gray, and, you know, um, at the end... With the the emergency room visit in April, he had lost his ability to eat. So for the last four months of his life, he subsisted off of, um, I don't even know what it was, but he was fed basically like through an IV in his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so he went home in, in May, you know, and I don't know. It just, it slowly started to deteriorate from there, and there were a lot more ER visits that I didn't know about until later. Um, <clears throat> but then in uh, early August, it really got bad. Um, and I remember, again, my, at this point, my mom hadn't told me much because Brady and I had had a beach trip scheduled. So we went to the beach. And then when we came home, um, my dad passed away about four days later. Um, yeah. And that was really rough. And when, how, how do you think, obviously your dad's quality of life declined as his health declined, which I think is expected in these long processes of illness. But do you think that your dad had come to terms with, and, and, like, was he at peace with, like, being done? Like, obviously, he didn't want to leave you. I think that, like, that's unspoken. Like, that can go unspoken. But, like, did you feel like, in despite your own grief, like, did you at least have the peace of mind of knowing that, like, your dad had come to terms with, like, this, this was it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you ask that. I, I, I honestly don't know. Um... And I, and I don't know this to be true, but my mom and I believe it to be true. I think my dad probably had had some conversations with doctors that he never told anyone about. I think that there was probably in 
right after the Christmas of 2020, I think there was probably like a timeline discussion is my suspicion. Um, but my mom and I never were privy to that. And my dad was always that way. He didn't want to worry us. He knew we would worry. He was a scientist, you know, for him, it like, like we mentioned earlier, it was very binary. It was either black or white. Um, and you know, he didn't want to worry us because I, I also remember, um, Christmas of 2020, when my dad had gotten out of the hospital after his surgery, um, Brady and I went up to Tulsa for like a late Christmas celebration. So instead of celebrating on like the 25th, it was like, I think it was like the 31st. Mm-hmm. So we did like a, a combo Christmas, New Year's Eve celebration. And it was wonderful. But I do very distinctly remember when we were leaving, um, he pulled me in to hug me and like, he never hugged me like that before, ever, ever in right. my life. And, like, so, like, looking back, I'm, like, I think there were timeline conversations. Because I think, I think he, that's when he was starting to, like, come to terms with it. Because I will never forget um, just how tightly he held me um, in that hug. And I, you know, the drive from Tulsa to... DFW is four and a half hours and I probably cried for two and a half hours on the way home because I was like that hug there was a message in that hug and I just didn't know what it was at the time right I think the him him possibly not telling you and your mom about like certain doctor's appointments I I like when you first said that I was initially thinking like oh well that's like a very that's a very male thing to do like men don't share the like they have that protector nature in them like men don't disclose when they're struggling with their mental health they don't they don't share if they're struggling with depression they don't share like because they don't want to concern people around them but like I also think it's a personality type like there are certain personality types that like they want to overanalyze, they want to overplan, they want to overdiscuss as to where there are personality types that are, you know, okay, it's black and white, this is what it is. Right. Like, I don't need to concern anybody else with this. Exactly. And I, I mean, you'll never really know if it would have made a difference. Like, exactly. you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter now whether or not he had those conversations right. or didn't because it's just how he chose to handle it. And like, I suppose, like, Outside the, you know, the sacredness of marriage that your parents had, I suppose that was kind of his prerogative to right. make that decision. I mean, he was the head of your household um, and sure. it was it was his life. So, you know, I guess he made he made that judgment call if that is what happened. So what what was the exact date of your dad's passing? Friday the 13th, August 13th, 2021. So Christmas 2021, your dad had been gone for four months. Yeah. Again, Mm -hmm. math is not my strong (laughs) suit. No, it is four months. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, good. Kenneth asked me to do math on the fly, and it's like, please don't do this in front of our children. (laughs) Please don't do this to me. Um, Okay, so so four months. What was was that first Christmas like? Yeah, yeah. so it's very tiny. Or did you even have Christmas? We I did. Mean- yeah. So I, I'm really like, this is a very timely conversation for me. Um, so the first Christmas, we had a Christmas 
it was it was hard, you know, there was the elephant in the room, like, who's not here? But we also, the timing was kind of okay, though, because it was like Brady and I's first married Christmas. Oh, I hadn't even thought mm-hmm. about that. So, so your first married Christmas is your first Christmas without your dad. Yes, correct. Yeah. So your husband's been a trooper through this. He has. Like, he really. He yeah. Like I, that's a lot. Yeah. To process, like less, your newlyweds mm-hmm. and your spouse's dad has passed away less after than this. Six months less, into the what? Into the marriage. Yeah. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot. Honestly, like if anything, that's a testament to your guys's marriage because yeah. like. That's a that's a lot to handle because like the first year of marriage, I don't care what anybody says. The first year of marriage sucks. Like, honeymoon (laughs) honeymoon phase my ass. Like, no, it sucks. But like you have added a truly traumatic event on top of like yeah, literally Uh like life put a grenade in the middle of your marriage. Yeah. Okay, continue. I digress. <laughs> I, I I didn't I mean, it's not my life. So yeah. I didn't I didn't make the connection that it had been it was your first married yeah. Christmas. Yeah, but it was I mean, and again, like I mentioned, it was kind of good timing though because Okay, explain. Because since Brady and Brady and I had talked about it but prior to getting married, like because we were going to be an, a married unit, we wanted to create our own Christmas traditions moving okay. forward. Okay. So it, you know, we had that baseline. So we just kind of really rolled with that. So instead of like either spending Christmas at his parents' house or my parents' house, like the plan had always been like, we'll spend Christmas at our house because we are now a unit. Like we are creating mm-hmm. our own Christmas traditions. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. Um, we invited my mom and, you know, it was nice to have her, um, and I was really glad that she wasn't spending the holidays alone. Um, you know, it it was certainly difficult. Um, there was not nearly as much crying as I thought there would be, uh, but I think again, it was it was a good distraction. We mm-hmm. reframed it in the sense like we were going to have new traditions anyway. Unfortunately, there's a big elephant in the room, but like this is kind of how it was going to be anyway. Um, But I mentioned that this is a very timely discussion for me because this is going to be my third Christmas without my dad. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, this is the worst one yet. I'm going to tell you. I don't know why. I think that that is actually, I think, so I don't know anything about, I don't know anything about brain science. I don't know anything about like the, the psychology of trauma, but from my own life experience, it actually is worse when you're far enough away from it that you like start to breathe again. Mm -hmm. Like I, like there have been times in our, so like this is, this is not a, this is not an apples to apples thing. I did not feel the, panic or sadness or like just any any of it I didn't feel any of that after the fires in New Mexico I literally did not process it until six months later we didn't even live in the same state like we were we were in Texas like we were nowhere near New Mexico and and it was interesting because even that's when my children started to process it yeah so like we're six months down the road from this traumatic event 
And now everybody wants to talk about it. Now everybody wants to wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares. Like, I thought we got away from this. Like, I thought we had escaped, like, this situation. But, like, when you're in it, like, when we were physically evacuating from a fire, it, it doesn't cross your mind to process it. You Like, you don't have the mental capacity to process it. So, like, to me, it makes sense to me that, like, first Christmas was kind of survival mode. And it just, and then second Christmas, it's like, what are you going to do? Like, you just, you go through the motions. Like, I think it makes sense to me that like, you're farther, you're far enough away from it now that like, your, your body is actually processing, like physically you're processing this trauma. I think, I think our brain and our emotions, I feel like our spiritual and our physical experience things at different rates of time for sure like i think they don't Mm -hmm. process on the same plane so to me it makes sense so like what does christmas look like this year um i mean it hasn't happened yet but (laughs) yeah i mean it's gonna be very it's gonna be filled with family right like um brady's family his parents live in mckinney which is about an hour 15 minutes from us his sister lives in dallas which is like 45 minutes away so we're going to basically spend, like, a day with each family unit. You know, like, we'll see his sister on the 23rd. We'll see my mom on the 24th. His parents will come see us on the 25th. So it's going to be, it's going to be, like, it's going to be busy, which I'm grateful for because I feel like that's going to serve as a distraction. But, man, leading up to Christmas this year, I have no Christmas spirit. Like, Sure, my house is decorated. Sure, my presents are wrapped. Have I, but like, have I listened to Christmas music? No. Do I want to? No. Am I excited about Christmas? Not really. Like, so what does that like? Mm, I should have thought of my question in advance before I opened my mouth. Um, <laughs> like, what made you realize that? Like, what made you? make the connection between like oh i'm dreading christmas because i i'm realizing i'm having another christmas without my dad cuz like last year you didn't necessarily have that experience so like what made you realize this year where you're like oh this is why i don't want to do christmas like was there something that made you realize it yeah so i'm not really sure um my therapist, shout out Erin the Queen. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work about this, but she likes to remind me that like grief doesn't have like there's no timeline, no, there's no textbook. None. So like you know, she also lost her father, but for her it's been thirteen years, and she you know has mentioned that like. It can be that years one, two, three are okay, but then when you get to year four, you're like, wow this sucks, but then five, six, seven, eight are fine. And then you hit nine and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm already, I'm hit, I'm like hit on my butt again. Um, but to answer your question, um, I've just had more like grief episodes this season. Like I've learned now as this is my third season without my dad, um, that like this season of life is just hard. It just gets hard because, the holidays are all about family, and it's like, well, you know, I don't have my full family here. Um, so I've just been having a lot more grief episodes where I just, like, so can you miss him. Can you, like, describe, because I feel like, like, if I can, if I can, like, put out 
into the atmosphere. Like, if I want this episode to reach anyone, like, I want this episode to reach people who are maybe not processing their grief yet or, like, not coming to terms with, like, that's what it is. Because, like, a lot of times I think we don't want to label grief as grief. Because it, in some ways, I think we see grief as weakness when yeah. in reality, like it's a normal, for sure. it's a normal coping mechanism. You're supposed to do it. But I think a lot of people like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to touch that right. box. Like right. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to touch the sad box. Like we're not, <laughs> yeah, we're not sure. opening the, the sad box. Um, But like, can you describe a grief episode? Like, and obviously you can only speak to yourself personally, like, but what does that look like for you? What does that feel like for you? How were you able to, obviously through therapy, but like how were you able to identify like, oh, the way that I'm feeling today is this is a grief episode. It's yeah. not the fact that like I'm on my menstrual cycle. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Because like right. your hormones go wacky You're, right. and grief causes similar things. Like I, some people, you know, some people might not agree with that, that, you know, correlation between the two. But like how did you get to the point where you're like, this is a grief episode. This is how I work myself through a grief grief episode and and go from there. Yeah. Um so for me grief takes very different forms, right? So like when you're when you're first in it, like you're in it. You're in it 100% and it's just like, wow, I'm never going to get out of it. Um again, shout out to Aaron for this analogy because it's so accurate, but I mean, I've seen an illustration of this like online you you probably have too. It's like the illustration that when grief first happens, it's like you have a tennis ball in a mason jar. And the tennis ball is just like touching all the sides of the mason jar. Mm-hmm. And there's the belief that the tennis ball gets smaller, but that's not true. What happens is the tennis ball stays exactly the same size. So your grief is always going to be the same size. But slowly as you process it, as you put more time and distance between it, that mason jar that that tennis ball is in starts to expand. Mm -hmm. So once it's bigger, that tennis ball is not touching every edge of the mason jar. But you rattle that mason jar, and that tennis ball is going to touch those walls. And that's when you're going to feel like those moments of Mm -hmm. grief, like the sadness, the, wow, oh my god, this really sucks. And that's kind of like been my barometer. Um... You know, having been far enough away from it, now it's been over two years um, where, like, I can go through day to day and think of my dad and it's, like, a happy memory. Right. But this season, a lot of that turns into, like, sadness instead, which has been, like, my barometer where, you know, even now just, like, talking about this and getting emotional and, like, any other season of life or whatever – Um, I can talk about my dad and it's fine. Like it's very, I've kind of gotten matter of fact about it too. Cause it's like, you know, it happened. It sucks. It is what it is. But like this season, particularly the sad box to your point is open a lot more often. Right. Is this the hardest season that you've got? Like holidays aside, like what has been, Hmm. Is it, Harder during the holidays or is it just hard, the same kind of hard all the time? It's just in a different font, like same hard, different font or, or is this, are the holidays harder? Um, so for me, there's two times of year that are the harder parts. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely the holidays because my dad was a big holiday person. Okay. Okay. It was always family and, you know, um, 
The second part is actually the summertime because I associate summertime with my dad's rapid deterioration. Interesting. Um, so like July and August are always like woof. They're very because that those were the times that I remember making drives to Tulsa, like being like, oh my god, is this gonna be it? Like I have right. those very distinct, like traumatic triggers to that time of year. Um but also to that point, like the holidays, like what I like the story I just told you, like there's trauma associated with the holidays too. Like everything was fine until it wasn't. Right. And then it got really bad really fast. So those are my two um and, you know, it took some time to, like, be able to say, like, this is a hard time of year for me, and that's okay. I'm going to get through it. Right. Um, and that's kind of where I am right now, you know? Like, it's not great. Holiday season isn't fun, but, like, I know I just have to kind of persevere and persist because, like, I'll get through it. Like, you know, there'll be a new year, and it'll still be hard into the new year, and then, you know... Come springtime, it'll get a little bit easier and we'll take a little bit of a breather. And then summertime, it'll start to get hard again. But it's like I've lived through the worst days of my life. So, like, you know, I can deal with being sad. And Well, and I don't think sadness is a um, sadness is an emotion that we don't like for obvious reasons. But like also, I don't think we have to treat sadness as like an ugly emotion. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's okay to be sad about situations. Yeah, like, sure. I think, I feel like I, I've come to terms with that over the last year too. Like I was having a conversation with my husband about like something that we had gone through recently. And it's like, I'm allowed to be sad mm -hmm. about it. Like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to crawl under the covers and pretend like the world doesn't exist. Like, I'm not going to go, you know, I'm not going to do destructive behaviors, but I'm allowed to be sad. Absolutely. And and then, I, and then I'll wake up tomorrow and hopefully I'll feel less sad. But mm -hmm. like, you know, you're allowed to have complex emotions sure. about these things. Yeah. I, I'm curious, like, when, and, and this can be like an overarching question. Like, I, I, I suppose we could like hyper-specific go down to the holidays in some regards, but like when it comes to like after your dad passed away and you were processing grief and you were coming to terms with that, what were things that people did correctly for mm -hmm. you yeah. and what were things that people did incorrectly for you because I think like another thing is that like I would hope that people are listening to this this podcast and like they're realizing that there are people in their family or in their inner circle who are struggling with grief because like also grief doesn't have to be the passing of a loved one yeah like grief totally. grief can be over things that might seem small to you, but are big to someone else. Like mm -hmm. if someone loses their job, like that, right. that has an aspect of grief. Obviously, like I think the boxes are, are bigger. Like you have bigger sad boxes based on like the, the traumatic event, but like people are processing grief through the holidays. So like, what are things that people did correctly in your opinion? And what are things that people did incorrectly or like did well and did, did poorly? Yes. Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, 
And it's, you know, it's something that it's taken me time to like think about. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause like even, you know, grief is such an interesting experience. Like, Unless you know someone who has lost someone they love, like, mm-hmm. you're no, you're just never going to get it. Like, you really aren't. Until it happens to you, like, I, I can say with 100% certainty, you will never get it. You just won't. And that needs, and, like, you need to be okay with that. Um, yeah, that's what you and I were talking about the other day when we were getting yeah. facials. It was like, I, I can't empathize with you, but I sympathize yes. for you because it's like, I don't want to. So like even us having discussions where it's like, I'm bringing up my mom's cancer diagnosis. Like that's not the same. Yes. Like I can't, I don't bring that up to try to empathize. Yes. Like I cannot empathize with what you have gone through, nor do I want to. Yeah. Frankly, mm-hmm. like I, I don't want to, I know I will have to someday, but like, yeah. I don't empathize, but I can sympathize. Like, I feel like sympathy is another thing that we really struggle with. Maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's generational. I don't know. But like, we don't want to, we don't want to give someone sympathy Mm -hmm. because we feel like maybe we're coddling them or like we're enabling, but like, I sympathize. Like, I can't understand what you're going through, but like, I, I can also sit in your space and allow you to grieve and and I think that's what like I meant when I said that was like I don't I don't know what you're going through but like I'll sit here with you in it if you want me to yeah um and I will say when you said that I love that that really stuck with me like it's I still think about it because I think that cap encapsulates it perfectly like I think people want to jump to empathy but like unless you've been there you you can't right you can't you're just like you're straight up not going to get it. I'm going to tell you right now. Like, you know, uh, I I didn't like, and you know, this is me personally. I didn't like the platitudes. I didn't like the, he's in a better place. It's like, well, what better oh, place? Oh, that's a horrible yeah, one. Yeah, what better place could there be than like here with his family? You know, I stuff like that I didn't faith like. Is, so like faith comes into that obviously, but I think that's not, it's not the appropriate time to say that, that like, so that's a tough one because like I have my faith. Mm-hmm. So like, and I, I'm firmly rooted in my faith. So like, I know if, if my husband were to leave this earth tomorrow, I know where he's going. And yes, I do know it's a better place, but I also know that like my God, my Jesus does not placate me with that sentiment like like he doesn't expect me not to be sad like he he understands that human emotion so like even if you do have a faith and like you and I have differing opinions on that and that's fine spoiler Mm -hmm. alert you're allowed to have (laughs) people in your life that have differing opinions than you but like even as someone who has the faith of he's in a better place I I hate when people yeah. say that because like I remember um like so my my parents had a really traumatic event um again this isn't something I can't I can't empathize but like my parents had a really traumatic event where a foster child in their care had a cancer diagnosis and she passed away in their care and I remember I can't remember who said it but they said something along those lines to my mom and and my mom did not take it well and she said do not 
say that to me because that makes it seem like it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly okay. Exactly. Exactly. Like, don't say that to me. Like, if you want to think it in your head, think it in your head. Mm-hmm. But like the yeah, the 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 placating with with nice words, don't do it. Yeah, but again, that just that goes back to the empathy sympathy, right? Like people think they're being empathetic, but because they've never experienced it, they don't get it. But and like that's why I'm like, you know, I I know it's coming from a loving place. I know it's coming from like I don't know what to do. Like I don't know what to do with my hands. So here's some nice words that right. So. I get it. And it, it's hard. Um, the other the other thing that I would just say is like give grievers a space, give grievers a space and a place like so, you know, let them be sad. Let them be angry. Like every emotion is valid in grief because there's no playbook. There's no timeline. If they're going to be angry for three weeks, let them be angry for three weeks. Mind you, if they're going to be angry and like start punching holes in the wall, like, OK, Let's, let's, let's like take a step back and reevaluate there, but like, let them feel what they need to feel and like, just be there for them because the griever has to process whatever emotions they're going through. And it's going to be like 9 million different kinds of emotions. Like there are so many different kinds of sad you can be that I had never thought of before. Um, but then like a very silly, simple thing that you did that still lives in my head is sending food. I couldn't eat when my dad died. Like I couldn't I couldn't look at food. But when you have hot food appear on your doorstep and it smells good and you realize you haven't eaten in mm-hmm. 36 hours because you've been sad, like you have no choice but to eat it too because you're like, well, it's here. It's in front of me. Right. It's hot. Right. And that's also that's like showing love in a different way. Like grievers still have to take care of themselves. Like you still have to eat, you still have to sleep. I know it's hard, but they still have to do that. So like, well, and like what a what a cool time for us to live in where like I was literally in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, and you were in Oklahoma and I was able to have hot food dumped on your doorstep. Like <laughs> yeah. like I couldn't physically be there. I had three babies, like I I couldn't I could not pick up my life and and teleport to be with you, but like what a time to be alive where like I could dump food on your doorstep. So like in some ways there's really not a whole lot of excuse not to take care of people. Yep. And like food is better than flowers. Yep. Like, yep. You can't eat mm-hmm. flowers. You cannot eat flowers. You can eat enchiladas. Like I mean <laughs> yeah. like, I would much rather have enchiladas than flowers. That's just me personally. And but it like, has to be like and it definitely has to be like don't send them a salad. Don't do that. Oh God, yeah. no. <laughs> Like, the, what a terrible, like, Ola, your dad just died. Have a salad. Like, yeah. no. Yeah, you spent. You spent cheese. Melted yes, cheese. You, yeah, you sent spinach artichoke dip, which was, like, the only thing I ate. I love that you remember what I, I sent. That's profound. You, so, like, why do you remember the food? Because it was comfort food. Okay. And okay. It was, like, it was hard to say no. Like, even though I felt physically, like, I couldn't eat. I felt physically sick right. with grief. Yes. But then I, it was comfort food and it was cheese and it was pasta. And I was like, I feel physically sick, but my body was like, girl, not sick enough. You better eat. And like that was so impactful to me. So now like I do that. I've, I've done that. I've unfortunately had friends who have lost parents. And now I've learned from you, like send them something they cannot resist food wise because I, and I, you know, I, 
I understand that grievers react differently. So some people may eat all the things and they may not have this problem. But for me, I couldn't eat because I felt physically sick. And I was afraid that if I ate something, I would throw it up because I felt physically ill. But being presented with food that smelled good, that I knew would be good because it was cheese and it was pasta. like Well, I feel like it's the same as like if you were to... So like, for example, if someone's house burned down... The first thing that you would do for them is you would make sure that they had like their basic necessities. Yes. Well, when someone is experiencing grief, the basic necessity is make sure that they eat, mm-hmm. like make sure that they eat. Um, and, and so I don't, and also I'll tell you this, if you're ever having, if you're ever having a, a grief moment, um, eat a quesadilla or a grilled cheese sandwich because the the chemical that your brain releases when you eat cheese is the same chemical that your brain releases when you have like a morphine drip. I like, believe it. Obviously in different <laughs> like varying levels, like varying levels, but like it's the same chemical. So like I actually did this when I was struggling with postpartum depression, when I was having a really bad day where it felt like I couldn't breathe, when it felt like I was going to burst into tears over everything. I would eat a quesadilla and I swear to you, I would feel better after I ate the quesadilla. So if anybody takes anything from this podcast, (laughs) when you have a friend who is sad, send them melted cheese Cheese or carbs, cheese and carbs, force them to eat cheese and carbs. So what you were talking about therapy, do -hmm. you recommend therapy? Yes. Why? Um, I just did an episode about therapy. I just did an episode about therapy and like why I think therapy is useful. But like, why do you feel like in this particular time, like when processing grief, the loss of a loved one specifically, why is therapy important? um, Because you need um, like a third party that you can just like trauma dump on. Yep. Because there's going to be a ton of stuff in your brain and you're going to need to like do something with it. And you could do that to a family member, you could do that to a friend, but why would you want to submit someone who is in your circle and maybe working through their own stuff? Like, why would you want to give them something else on their shoulders? Like, therapists, like, that's what they do. They're supposed to take your trauma dump stuff and look at it from a third-party perspective and kind of pick it apart, ask questions. Why do you feel this way? Why do you think this happened this way? Um, And it really helps you kind of unpack it to, you know, or if it was rattling around in your head and, you know, my, my therapist, I love her because I feel like she points out the most profoundly true things that I just like wouldn't think of, or she'll just be very frank and be like, listen, like you need to take a step back because you're being, you're being a little much right now. And I think, you know, you're being a little much and I know you're being a little much. And like, you need someone to be blunt with you. You need someone to be frank with you. You need someone, you know, just to help sort through all the things because there's going to be a million different stupid, crazy thoughts cluttering around in your head. And it also just helps to let it out. So obviously you're like in the, you're in the, I I don't know if this is politically correct, but like the beginning stages of your grief, like in the grand Mm -hmm. scheme of your life, like you're, you are in, and, and I pray that you have a long and healthy life, which means that you know, you're in the beginning stages of this. Do you think there's a time limit on the therapy? So like, say someone, say someone lost a parent 15 years ago. Is there a time limit on that grief? 
Or, or like, is there a time limit though where it's like, well, therapy probably won't really help you at this point. Like don't reopen that yeah. wound. Like, or is it just like, you should probably get therapy. I think it ebbs and flows. Um, I think, you know, like it's interesting with my therapist. Cause like when my dad was sick, I would go every week. Like it was like every week. Um, and you know, when he, when immediately when he passed every week, but like, as I slowly started to process things a little bit better, maybe it was like every two weeks and then once a month. And like when I would reach those bad seasons where I just needed more support, then maybe we went back to every two weeks or every week if it was a really bad month. Um, I don't, I don't think, I think therapy is good in a long in a long term, because you also build a relationship with a therapist and they understand you. They know your quirks. They know your history. You don't have to re-explain to a new person, like all this trauma that you like. So I think it's worth building a relationship with a therapist. And I don't think it's a bad idea to just be like, you know, I'm good. Like, I might not need to see you for six months, eight months. Maybe I'll come back if something bad happens. But like you have that established relationship. So I think it's interesting that you brought up the, like, um, you 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 kind of unload. Like, that can feel awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, when you go to a therapist for a specific reason. So, like, what would your advice be? And, and granted, you're not a professional. I'm not a professional. But, like, if someone is worried about going to a therapist because, like, maybe this is, like, a long-term thing for yeah. them. Maybe they lost a spouse or someone right. a long time ago and they're, like, I'm not comfortable sitting in front of a stranger and dredging up these emotions that, like, right. I have kept very secure in my sad box. Like, I <laughs> yeah. don't want to open – I don't want to sit in front of a stranger and open my sad box, yeah. okay? So, like, what would your what would your words of encouragement be to that person about, like, sitting down with someone and and – dredging up those things yeah is it worth it is how do you get over the awkward Mm -hmm. how do you get to the place where you're comfortable talking about something that you maybe haven't talked about in a very very long time yeah so I mean you have to find the right therapist because I've been to some therapists where it is very awkward and I walk in and I'm like you and I have no chemistry I feel like you don't care about me and I walk out and I think it's okay to to try a few different people until you find, you will find that person, you will find that therapist that has the same approach to grief as you do or similar or can sympathize or empathize and you will feel comfortable. And like, it's okay if like, maybe at first it's like, yeah, you know, I I lost my wife and I miss her. And that's all you, and that's all the therapist gets. But like with time and trust, because you have to build trust, a therapy relationship involves trust, you will get there. But I, I think it's worth saying, like, it's okay to break up with a therapist. Like, if you go to someone and you're just not gelling at all, it's okay right. to be like, you know what? This is not for me. I'm good. Um, because it's the, at the end of the day, it's their job. Like, right, I, exactly. they're, they're not going to, you would hope that they would not take it personally if you're like, yeah, this isn't working for me. Like, you're, right. you're not on a date. Like, you know, you're not, you're not on a date. You're seeing a professional who gets yeah. paid to do this. So, is there anything that you're doing this holiday season to like commemorate your dad or like honor your dad or are you just in the place where you're like we're just going to we're going to get through this? Like does it feel necessary for you as the family that is still here to do things to 
honor his memory or is that something that's not important to you because it you know it is what it is because I think that's different for a lot of people some people are very hung up on the the remembering people as to where other people are like we gotta we gotta move on yeah um for for my family I think it's just organic um we remember my dad in very positive ways we have Mm -hmm. a lot of funny Christmas stories involving him that we like to bring up um and, you know, it just com- he just comes up organically because he's forever a part of our family. And, like, we're, we've reached – and, like, we're also lucky that we also had a very – we my family had a good relationship with my father, which I know is not the case for a lot of people. So I know it can be different depending on family dynamics. But we have very happy stories that come up organically, but I we don't force anything, right? Like, to your point, that first Christmas we – we kind of we kind of felt like we had to remember him. Um, we had we had like a, a separate place setting at the table. Yeah, that we put his picture on, like he was still eating with us. Um, but that also spoke to my Polish culture a little bit because that's that's a Polish thing to have um, an extra seat at the table anyway um, for a surprise guest. So if Jesus were to come and knock in. Literally, that's like just oh, yeah. belief. Oh yeah, You're a lot of a lot of Christians still do that. Yeah. Like when you have your Christmas Eve dinner, you yeah. set a place. Yeah, you set a place for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like when the first Christmas after my dad passed, like that was his place because like gotcha. you know because he was not here, but maybe he would show up. But you know, we haven't done that, and I don't know that we would do that this year. So, it's- so would you say that like so like for people who are processing grief, like would you say that like in your unprofessional professional opinion, is it okay for them to not do anything? Because I think yeah. a lot of times people feel like an obligation, like <laughs> if I don't do this thing, if I yeah. don't set the place at the table or if I don't go visit their grave or if I don't hang the stocking or if I, you know, if I don't do these things, I'm bad. Mm, but yeah. like, would you say, like, it doesn't matter. Just do what you need to no, do. And don't let anyone tell you that it's like, bad or not you know because like this just comes back like again grief has no playbook there is not a one-size-fits-all if your grieving needs to be that you feel connected with your person by putting the stocking up great if you're having a really good holiday this year and you decide okay this is the year the stocking stays in the box great that's fine it's all okay like you don't need to feel obligated like I I just I I think the most important thing is for people to be comfortable sitting in their grief. So whatever that looks like, whether that means the stockings on the mantle or it's in the box, like either way is okay. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, that's like probably the best thing that we could end with is just the understanding of like, there's not a, you're, there's no way that you can do this correctly. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot correctly get through a holiday season with grief. Like you just, get through it and you do it in a way that makes the people who are left here okay exactly and that'll be different for everyone like I I think that's probably and it could be different every year I do want to point that out too I think that that's relevant I think it could and I think it's interesting that like all three years you have felt different Mm -hmm. things like every every year has been a different it's had a different uh, lens that you've, that you've looked at it through. Well, Ola, thank you so much for sitting down with me and having this conversation. Um, You did great. Oh, thanks for 
for having me. I'm so honored to be the first official guest. I know. I know. It's super <laughs> exciting. It's super exciting. And um, you guys, I am going to have more guests on. Thank you, you guys, again, for tuning in to another episode of the Along the Way podcast. Again, if you want to get in touch with me or shout this out on social media, please share this with people who may be processing these complex emotions of sadness and grief through the holidays. Share this with them. Like, comment, and tag me on social media so I can see what you guys are saying about the podcast. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. You can find all my handles for social media on the description of this episode. Thank you so much again, Ola, for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to share the story. And you guys... Have a Merry Christmas, and I'll see you back next time.